Hello, everybody. Good morning. It's great to see you here, those of you in the room, and also welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well. So we've just been asking that question, what is the hardest thing that you have achieved in life? Anybody want to share? Sorry, I thought, what did you say? Sorry, Daniel. Fantastic. Well done. That's a great achievement. Anybody, anything else? Being a stepmom. Oh, fantastic answer, Michael. Fantastic answer. Anybody? Yep, go on, Linda. I love how everyone's putting their hands up. You're all very polite. You don't normally. Especially not you, Linda. Go on. No, I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Sorry, Linda. Oh, fantastic, Linda. Yeah? Well done. Learn to ride a bike and swim in later years. Excellent achievement. Anybody else before? Oh, we could just chat about this if you want for a while. Anyone else want to share? Go on, Simon. Your degrees. Fantastic. How many have you got? Well done. Superb. Very good. Excellent. Well, that was, that was lovely. What a, a great celebration there of some um, hard achievements. I'm going to talk about mine in a moment, if that's okay. Um, I'm going to spend a bit of time today talking a little bit about my hobby. Um, because over the last uh, six months, my hobby became the hardest thing that I have achieved in life. And it taught me a lot about community, which is what we're going to be looking at together today. But before I talk about that, just a quick reminder, we're in a series, um, appreciate some of you might be joining us for the first time today, so I just want to bring you up to speed. We're in a series at the moment called Changed, and in this series we're looking at the different ways that God changes and transforms us, the different ways that God changes and transforms us. And so all of this is um, rooted from a verse in the Bible in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, in a book called Romans. And uh, this verse says this, Romans 12, verse 2. It says, fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. Fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. And so far we've looked in this series at how we can be changed by God's love we can be changed by God's power, changed by his grace. And then last week, Lois looked at how um, we are changed by the choices that we make. This week, we're going to be looking together at how we are changed by community, changed by community and how um, community plays a big part in God's plan for humanity. Community is um, both beautiful and messy at times. Can I get an amen? It can be both, right? Both ends of the spectrum. You may well have experienced both ends, messy and beautiful. It can be this great joy and a blessing, but then at the same time, community can be a source of frustration and pain. Why? Because it's made up of people like me and you, right? Yeah? You with me on that? That's why community is both beautiful and messy, because it's made up of people. And none of us are, have got it all wrapped up. None of us are perfect. 
And sometimes we'll bring our stuff into community and it's great when we bring our stuff into community, but it can be both beautiful when we do that and it can be quite messy sometimes as well. Uh, We're not kind of naive to that as a church and it's in um, that range of experiences that we become changed and shaped by community. So jump back with me now um, to that question, what's the hardest thing that you've ever achieved in life? Um, I mentioned that mine is my hobby um, because um, it taught me a lot about community and that's why I want to talk about it today. My hobby is running, which I appreciate might switch some of you off when I say that. Um, You know, please just bear with me for a moment if that's okay. Um, But in April, I ran my first ever um, marathon and probably my last ever marathon. Um, No, it probably won't be actually, but we'll talk about that in a bit. But a word of advice, if anybody ever tries to tell you that running a marathon is easy, they are lying to you. Like, run away, because it's not true. Um, Now, typically, when you run something like a marathon, you would enter an event, um, because it's quite a distance, and so it's good to run it with other people. The trouble is, I didn't do that. I ran what was called a virtual marathon marathon. Now, just to clarify, a virtual marathon isn't where you just sit in your living room with a headset on and kind of virtually run it. Um, It's where you, uh, I ran the virtual London marathon where you run the distance of a marathon wherever you live. I couldn't enter an event because I was waiting at the time for some surgery and there was a bit of uncertainty about when that would be. So I um, entered this virtual event, which means that you run it on your own in the area that you live, like I said. Now, there's a few problems in my marathon journey this year that I want to share with you, and that is problem number one. Problem number one is that I tried to run the biggest race of my life alone. The biggest race of my life alone. Um, I worked out that uh, this kind of route around where I live, which was just under nine miles, and the plan was to run this route three Um, times, which would take me up to 26.2 miles. At the end of each lap, Ruth and, uh, that's my wife Ruth and and my two girls, they would be there waiting with a fresh t-shirt, some energy gels, and a change of drink. And so I set off on what was a drizzly Friday morning, and little, little did I know what was ahead of me on this Friday morning. Because not even a mile in, And I received some bad news. Now, I wouldn't typically run with my phone or my phone on, but I did have to on this occasion because of the battery life that I needed. And I received the news that the surgery that I was due to have in five days' time had been cancelled. And this was just like a mile in, this thing came through on my phone. Um, in, In life, we often receive bad news, don't we? But how we respond to that bad news is often linked to whether we are in community with others or not. Here's problem number two that I experienced. I was alone with my bad news, which meant that I couldn't gain perspective and I just got frustrated. Anyone else ever experienced that in life where you get this bad news and you're on your own and you just can't gain that perspective that you need in the midst of your bad news? Now, after my first nine miles, um, bad news aside, I was actually feeling quite good. My pace was ahead of schedule, and I was running comfortably. But 
my pace being ahead of schedule should have been a warning sign. It was like that moment when a, a warning light comes on your dashboard and you just ignore it. Um, I got to this first kind of changeover point. It was really wet that day, so I changed the t-shirt whilst I was running, which isn't as easy as it, well, it's not easy at all. Um, and then Ruth, who's also a runner, she joined me for the next um, five miles or so. And uh, she came alongside me and she brought some added support. And she checked in with me about my pace and she said, how's your pace? And when I told her, she quickly pulled a face of, uh, of disapproval because um, she then went on to tell me, you've gone off too quick in your first um, lap. I confidently declared, I'm okay. Don't worry about it. It feels good. And stupidly ignored her advice. And I should have learned in life after um, 13 years of marriage not to ignore her advice. But in this moment, I didn't. And I thought I knew better. Problem number three. I had been alone, so I couldn't see the warning signs that were building up. Problem number four. When the warning signs were pointed out to me, I ignored them. Now, like we heard last week, learning from others' wisdom in uh, community is a good thing if we allow it to change us. But sometimes we think that we know better, don't we? Now, after running with me for about five miles, Ruth peeled off and I kept on going um, so that she could be ready for this second kind of drink station that we'd set up. It was all very official. Um, and there I was just left to keep going at this pace still miffed about the news that I had received. I came around to my second and final um, aid station to be greeted by uh, cheers from my girls, a much needed fresh t-shirt, and then a top up of energy gels and drinks. It gave me that boost that I needed because I'd been starved of community on my run. But as I ran into the final lap, it was at this point that I knew that something was going badly, badly wrong. Ruth joined me again for what was only meant to have been the next five miles, but she ended up doing the rest of the distance with me. Um, something had happened to my body. Something that anyone who uh, runs a marathon dreads. You, I, I'd read about it, I'd heard about it, I'd dreamt about it, and it was happening. I had hit what they call the wall. I had hit the wall. Now, um, if you're not familiar with the wall, then when you hit the wall, what that means is your body physically has nothing left to give you. And so I had hit the wall at 17 miles. It was quite early for that. And the reason being because I had gone too fast and I hadn't been fueling properly. It was like a car. I don't know if anybody, has anybody ever had the experience of running out of petrol in a car? Anybody want to own it? It's happened twice to me, so it's okay. Like that's it. I see those. There's quite a few of you. Good. Um, like your car just comes to this chugging stop, and you literally cannot go any further. So I, my pace had just gone like right down, and I just was going so slowly. Problem number five is that I had ignored the advice of people who had gone before me, and people with life experience and wisdom. Um, Leon, who's here today, a fellow endurance athlete, because that's what we are, Leon, isn't it? Fellow endurance athlete. He had said to me, literally, the Sunday before, he knew I was running this marathon, 
like, what's your pace plan? And I was just like, yeah, I've got a pace plan. Kind of smiling, thinking, mm, what is my pace plan? Like, I had ignored that advice. I had not taken on that collective wisdom. I could see the horror on Ruth's face as I just looked like a sweaty, worn-out mess before her eyes. Things were not good. And the next nine miles were the hardest experience of my life. There were so many times when I just wanted to give up. My pace had totally gone and I was barely able to run. My leg kept cramping up. But I didn't give up because at this point in the run, Ruth had come alongside me. She'd partnered with me in the race. And she just kept encouraging me and kept saying, I keep on going. You can do this. And it, it lifted me. The thing that um, got me through is that I listened to her encouragement and her advice. And what had started out as a solo run ended up with me partnering with someone. At the finish line, some family um, members had gathered together with these homemade banners. And they were cheering me on. And, you know, what that did to me, it really lifted me. The support and the community got me through my first marathon. But the hardest part was still to come. And here's a picture of the hardest part. There I am. Now, I'm in the bath. That's, that's an ice bath. So there I was trying to recover afterwards. You can move that on, Summer. Thank you. Um, anybody who's like listening to this preach in the week and you haven't got the benefit of what you've just seen, I was fully clothed, wasn't I, everybody? Like... Weird moment there. If you're listening, you just hear that there I am in the bath. Um, anyway, thank you for entertaining my story there about my marathon. Um, my sporting triumph and woes. At the end of this year, I am fully expecting to get nominated for Sports Personality of the Year. Because finishing 24,000th in the London Marathon tends to be something that gets recognized as an achievement, doesn't it? But I think, um, I appreciate you kind of sticking with me there on my story, but I think my tale of solo running and ignoring advice is a helpful picture for what we're looking at together today. You see, we can either let God's design of community changes, or we can try and do life like a solo runner and see how far that gets us. I've shared with you today about the countless um, problems, what they were that I faced. But let me give you what I think the solution is. I think the solution is that we are better together. We are better together. Now, I appreciate that sounds like a line from a Disney song, quite cheesy, but um, hopefully I'll kind of flesh out what I mean by that and why I think that's really important. There are times in life when we try to do things outside of community. Times when, like me, we think we know best. Times where we go through struggles and trials, and instead of getting others' perspective and wisdom, we just grow in bitterness and frustration. Times when we don't see the, the warning signs and the blind spots. Why? Because we're not allowing community around us to help point them out. Or others um, try to point them out. But because we're not in community with those people, we just ignore it. And we don't allow the benefit of others' experience and wisdom to shape us. And I learned the hard way that we're better together. And here's where I think that we see this truth in the Bible. When we look at um, the early church and how they 
were formed. We're going to read this together, look at this together. It's in Acts chapter 2. Acts, again, in the New Testament of the Bible. Um, And Acts really records for us um, what life was like for the first church as they formed and came together. And it says this. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the good will of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So this is how the early church nearly 2,000 years ago were described. They were a group of followers of Jesus who devoted themselves to four things. We're told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me just explain what that is. That just means the apostles were the disciples who had been and witnessed, uh, been with Jesus and witnessed Jesus' death and his resurrection. Uh, and so what that means is they devoted themselves to learning all about Jesus. It says that they devoted themselves to fellowship, and that's what we're going to look at today. They devoted themselves to sharing in meals, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, it's that word fellowship that I want to particularly draw on. Um, it's not a word that we particularly use today. We've often replaced it with that word community. But it's helpful for us to really understand what they mean when they say that they devoted themselves to fellowship. Last week we had a um, Hebrew lesson from Lois, um, expertly delivered. And uh, this week, I'm going to attempt to teach you a bit of Greek, which might not be as expertly delivered as Lois's Hebrew, but we'll have a go together. You ready to learn a new word? So the Greek word that's used for the word fellowship here is koinonia. Koinonia. Any Greek speakers in the room? Few. I've got away with it. Koinonia. Koinonia means partnership. Partnership. And um, it's In the context that it's used here in Acts chapter 2, it's talking about partnership that invests time, energy, and resources for a common purpose. So when it says here that they devoted themselves to fellowship, what we see as an important characteristic for the early church was this need to be devoted in partnership with each other, investing time energy and resources in being in community with each other. And so that's a picture for us of what community can look like. But as we see, it's an investment. And an investment is something that we have to opt in for, isn't it? um, Being changed by community means partnering with one another, by investing our time and our energy and our resources to becoming more like Jesus and in helping our community in the same way that Jesus would if he was walking on planet Earth today. He's our example of what it means to help our community. 
And this model that we see of fellowship from the early church, what's great is that because of the book of Acts and um, other books that come after that, we can see what the results were when they devoted their time to fellowship. We can see that it led to awe of who God is. They were just in awe of who God is. And when we're in awe of who God is, what that does is it shifts our perspective and our mindsets. It says that they saw miracles take place. Like, who wants to see miracles take place in our community? It kind of was a rhetorical question, but if you want to respond, you can. Like, who wants to see miracles take place in our community, right? How good would that be? We're seeing miracles take place, but we want to see more. It says that they shared everything that they had with those in need. What a great example of what it looks like to help our community. It talks about how they came together and they gathered together for worship gatherings. It says that they met in homes for communion. And it says that there was great joy and great generosity. Like we want to be a community that is known for its joy and generosity because joy and generosity points people towards Jesus. A great example for us of the early church. And this is exciting because it it shows us that if we're really committed to partnership, to investing our time, our energy, and our resources in community together, then it could change us. But we have to be willing for that change to take place. And it's done that for me, you know, when I've allowed it to. It's helped sharpen me being in community, whether that's here on a Sunday or in a connect group or just journeying with a few close friends um, or doing things like Alpha or whatever it might be, it does something to us being in community when we invest our time and our energy. What happens is we learn from others or maybe we um, grow in the wisdom of others or maybe we have some life experience and wisdom to bring into other people's situations. We experience generosity We have meals with others. We pray with others. We worship together. There are so many ways. But on the flip side, um, we also have that ability, like I just mentioned, to bring change to others. Whether that's in our connect groups or whether that's in this geographical community that we live in or the community that you represent here today. We haven't really got time to go into this, but in Acts chapter 5, if you're taking notes, just jot down Acts chapter 5. If you're not taking notes, make a mental note. Read it this week. It's a great example of the flip side to all of this. Reading about a couple called Ananias and Sapphira and what happened in their lives when they chose to isolate themselves from community and to go their own way. I'm not going to spoil it for you. If you've never heard the story before, go away and read it this week. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you if you isolate yourselves. I just need to premise it with that. Um, but I think it's an example to us of like what happens when we really remove ourselves from community. It's not good for us. It is good for us to be in community. Another thing, though, is that we're also aware that sometimes, like I said, community can be messy. And sometimes communities can hurt us. And like, if that's you today, I'm sorry that you've had that experience. I really am. And I can't stand up here today and say, like, and declare, this is a safe community for you. Like, I believe it, it, I believe it is, but like, I'm part of this community. And so for me to declare that, 
Like, I can't do that. But we're doing everything we can to hopefully try and be a safe community for you to join and be part of. What we're learning is that we are better together. The early church was different to the society that it lived in. Um, A guy called Tim Keller, he was a pastor out in New York who recently passed away, but he says this, he says, it was because the early church didn't fit in with its surrounding culture, but rather challenged it in love that Christianity eventually had such an effect on it. And we're called to be the same as the early church, to do the same as the early church, to be a community that's different from the world around us, not to isolate ourselves from the world that we are in, but to be that change, to bring that hope, to bring Jesus's sacrificial love, his unconditional grace, his mercy, his generosity, to represent his humility, his healing power for our hurting world. We are changed when we show up in community with other followers of Jesus. If we allow ourselves to listen to others, to be shaped by wisdom, by generosity, by hospitality, and everything else that can be so great about Christian community. We won't always get things right, like I said. But when we're also demonstrating things like um, unity across ethnic boundaries, when we're demonstrating what it means to be marked by forgiveness and reconciliation, by hospitality, by valuing life and faithfulness and love and purity, we can also be life-changing to our communities that we represent. I got it badly wrong with my um, first marathon experience. I tried to do it alone. I didn't listen to the collective wisdom of community. Back in uh, September, I ran a half marathon in Warrington, which went a whole lot better. There were hundreds of other people running this race. There was amazing support along the streets of Warrington. People were shaking tambourines, like just random bystanders. Now, I've been going to church for 35 years. I've never really been all that encouraged by a tambourine, if I'm honest. But I'm I'm telling you, on this race, I was super encouraged by people just shaking their tambourines. There were um, different um, people that would run this distance with a backpack on, with a big flag up their back, which said the time that their pace would be running. That helped me to pace my race because I was in community with others. There was a young girl on the roadside who was just giving out wine gums. And that's normal, by the way, in a race. I know that's not normal in life. If you just see somebody giving out wine gums, don't just take them. But in this experience, it was acceptable and allowed. There was a a British sign language um, choir en route, uh, pumping out their music and signing along to it. Like, that did something to me. It really lifted me. It really encouraged me to have them encouraging. It put courage into me. There was a man, just a random bloke, playing Sweet Caroline on his trumpet. And like, again, it's an annoying song, but in that moment, I needed it, and it just lifted me. And with a couple of miles to go, um, my 
final energy gel, which I'd been holding onto just for that Mo Farah kind of boost at the end, it fell out of my pocket and I hadn't realized. And as I went to take it, it wasn't there. And you know what? I looked up in that moment and uh, Alex at the back there, who is also a fellow runner, he'd ran the 10K race that day. And I've never said this to him, but he was walking back to his car. And in that moment, he just started to cheer for me. And that just lifted me. That just did something for me in that moment. It gave me the courage that I needed. And then there was the support of friends and family as well at the finish line. It was a totally different experience because I didn't do it alone. I followed the wisdom of a pacer. I had the support um, and encouragement on the journey. And I think that that is what church community should look like. Doing life together. Helping each other with our collective wisdom, learning about Jesus together and how he is changing our lives, being generous together with our encouragement, helping those who are in need, both within our church community and our surrounding communities, being together in that common goal that we have in life to finish the race of life well pointing others to that hope that we found in Jesus. Last week, Lois gave us a recipe. I'm going to finish today with a takeaway and give you a takeaway, if that's okay. Um, but it's not that kind of takeaway, I'm afraid. Um, but here's just like three quick, simple things that we could perhaps all do this week and think about and reflect on this week. The first thing is this. Find your home. Find your home. Where will you belong? What does community look like for you? Whether that's here with us as Foundry Community Church or it's somewhere else, we're not precious about that. What we're precious about is that you find your community. Somewhere where you feel like you can belong. Somewhere where you feel like you can partner with and invest your time, your energy into community. The second thing is this, get your feet under the table. Get your feet under the table. And what I mean by that is, like, get involved in community. Get part of a connect group or um, volunteer teams, for example. That's some expressions that we have here as a church, which you can really grow in community in. How can you get your feet under the table? And then the last thing is this. Then get renovating. Get renovating. Once you've found your home, you've got your feet under the table, Ask God, God, how do I need to be changed in community? God, what wisdom do I need to be listening to? God, what wisdom have I ignored that really needs some correction in my life? And then also, as part of that renovation, God, what can I do to bring change in my community? How can I bring change and help to the community that I'm part of? I'm going to stand to your feet and the band are just going to lead us together now. Thank you.